0: have some time in the morning and then you can be wherever you need to be lunchtime um, and just I would encourage you that you would make that time of worship a part of your Christmas celebration as a family Uh, my prayer for this Christmas as I guess it is every Christmas is that you and I would um, know that Christ is our all in all Uh, That we would find our contentment, our peace, our joy, our satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. And there's a lot that goes on in the holiday season. And uh, uh, it is a holiday to be a time of worship, uh, to exalt Christ, to remind us of who He is. And uh, who he is to be in our lives. Uh, There's a poem I came across this week, and it says this It was spring, but it was summer I wanted, the warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter. I wanted the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season it was now winter but it was spring I wanted the warmth and the blossoming of nature I was a child but it was adulthood I wanted the freedom and the respect I was 20 but it was 30 I wanted to be mature and sophisticated I was middle-aged but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. Hmm. Then the final line says, My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Uh, there's a phrase that I've heard that says, do not wish your life away. Uh, I think we could also say, do not want your life away. Always be wanting something that you don't have. Uh, The Christmas season is a time of year where there's a lot of wants. (laughs) Uh, It seems that those wants are many times the focus of our attentions this time of year if we're not careful we will base our happiness or our joy on our wants and whether those are met or not Uh, the Apostle Paul didn't speak much about wants But he did speak quite a bit about needs. Uh, This morning we come to Philippians chapter 4 verses 10 to the end of the letter verse 23. uh, Our final time in the book of Philippians. Um, And Paul talks about needs and how he relates to those in Christ. Uh, so this is how Paul closes his letter to his dear friends the Philippians Philippians 4 verse 10 but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again though you surely did care but you lacked opportunity not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me nevertheless you have done well that you shared in my distress now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, Well-pleasing to God and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus now to our God and father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus the brethren who are with me greet you all the saints greet you but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. I look at those last few verses, particularly verse 21 and 22, and it kind of reminds us the circumstances in which Paul has written the letter to the Philippians. Uh, Kind of the people that are involved. And obviously, uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and so he says in verse 21, he says, Greet every saint in Christ Jesus and so he's sending this letter with their representative Epaphroditus back from Rome to Philippi and he says now i want you to greet every saint in Christ Jesus so there are many followers of Jesus or at least a number of them in Philippi and we know from acts 17 that Paul went there preached the gospel people responded a church was formed and through the years he would pass through Philippi and He would establish that church, and they were very close to him. And so uh, part of the dynamic of this letter is the people that are in Philippi that are followers of Jesus Christ, that he sends greetings to them. That second phrase in verse 21, he says, The brethren who are with me greet you. And so there were people that traveled with Paul. Now, we know that Timothy um, is with Paul. There were probably other people that the Philippians know. So there there are, uh, if you remember, Barnabas, Silas, different people traveled with Paul as he made his missionary journeys. And by the time he gets to where he is, uh, there are people that are there that the Philippians know. Uh, Then in verse 22 he says, All the saints greet you, uh, especially those who are of Caesar's household. And so... Paul says, now there's some people here with me, but you need to know that there's a church. There are believers here in Rome. If you just kind of remember the story that, that Paul, traveling, establishing churches, uh, preaching the gospel uh, for really a number of years. In fact, his time in Philippi was 10 years uh, prior to this time, the writing of this letter. Uh-huh. Paul gets in trouble in Jerusalem, is arrested, and is put in jail. And at one point they intervene. If you remember reading those last chapters in Acts, uh, uh, there's a conspiracy, a plot against his life, and they take him to the city of Caesarea, which is close by. In fact, it says that Paul spent two years in Caesarea as this was like tied up in the courts and different political leaders came and went. And finally at the end of two years, of being in jail in Caesarea, he appeals to Caesar, and then in those last couple chapters in Acts, you see this journey uh, of Paul getting from Caesarea to Rome for his case to be heard with Caesar. And I, I don't know; it it's months. I mean, they're shipwrecked; they're they end up on islands, and things happen. And if you just remember those last chapters, and finally they they travel with his guards to Rome and and Paul is under house arrest that means he's in his own private quarters he's having to take care of his own needs but there's a guard there with him and they're waiting in fact the end of Acts it says and really the end of Acts ends not telling the end of Paul's story but it says he was there for two more years so if you think about this from the time that he's arrested to the time at the end of the book of Acts somewhere in that is this writing this Philippians uh, it's been several years that Paul has been under arrest and is being processed and we know from church history that and things that we glean from uh, Paul's letters that uh, Paul was released he was later rearrested, and eventually was beheaded in Rome but it was uh, uh, several years after uh, the writing of Philippians and so i don't know that that's been kind of the context that's the people that are involved here in the writing uh of the book of romans but it's kind of interesting that at the end of the letter he says that all the saints that are here with the church in rome to, and he said and especially those who are of caesar's household the amazing thing and this is kind of part of what luke was recording in the book of acts is the gospel had gotten to rome the most powerful, the greatest, most influential city in the world, the gospel had gotten to Rome, and there was a church that was established. And obviously, the book of Romans, Paul writes to those people even before this time. Uh, but the amazing thing from verse 22 is that even those who are part of Caesar's household. Some of those had become saints and he says they greet you. One other kind of interesting thing when you look at this last section is uh well in um in second Thessalonians. Okay, this is on the fly. Ah. Second Thessalonians. Verse seventeen. So right at the end of Thessalonians, he says, "The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write." And so Paul would, like the letter to Philippians, he would have someone who is who is writing this, uh, a secretary, a scribe, writing out, and he's I guess talking. And uh, but then when he got to the end of his letter, Paul would say, "Here here." Give me, give me the piece of paper because I have something I want to write at the end and the words that I've just read I think 21, 22, 23 I think those are Paul's words kind of phenomenal to me to think that Paul wrote these out in his own hand so that they would say no look at the end of the letter the handwriting changes uh, I know people don't send letters much anymore but I, I know what my mother's handwriting looks like because I'm so old she used to send me letters when I was in college Think about how the world's changed. Um, I know what my wife's handwriting looks like. Well, she's also sent me letters in college, but we can't really go there. Okay, those—they're in a shoebox somewhere at the house. And, oh my, my! Woo, I'm just blushing thinking about. Oh, oh, those love letters we sent back and forth. It was—I don't know. Anyhow, um, that wasn't in my notes either. Let's see what I was th- talking about. The end of the letter, the handwriting. And I know it's just amazing to me to think that Paul, in very personal terms, writes these final words and says, I send greetings to the saints that are there. The brothers that are with me greet you. The saints of the church, even those of Caesar's household, greet you uh, from Rome. And he ends this letter as he does so many. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And he hands that letter to Epaphroditus who then travels, as we've said, some 40 days back to Philippi. Um, The final words that Paul uses, if now we just looked at verses 10 through 19, are words of thanks for what the the Philippian church has done for him. He concludes his letter with words of thanks. He started his letter... With thanks in Philippians one three he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He comes to these last words, and I guess the one thing that kind of summarizes it all is they are words to say thank you. My heart's blessed to know that you cared enough about me to send Epaphroditus all this there was a monetary gift. Paul had to have his needs met. <laughs> you know, when he when he traveled around to churches, Paul worked because he didn't want to put any of the churches out. He didn't want to say, well, I'm preaching the gospel because what I get out of this. No, Paul worked, but now he's under house arrest. He's at the mercy of some other people to take care of him. The Philippians were his closest church, and they sent this monetary gift with Epaphroditus to take care of his needs. All through the letter, the theme of joy. But I am reminded, and I remind you today... That a joyful heart is a thankful heart. And a thankful heart invariably will be a joyful heart. Uh, He says in verse 10, he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Uh, It's kind of, (laughs) Paul's kind of, it's kind of, he kind of says, I, I'm glad that you remembered me again. It, it, but he kind of softens that a little bit. And, and really I think what he meant was for all those years he had traveled under arrest. It, think about communication in those days. They don't even know what, where Paul is, what's happened to him until somebody reports. And so I think they had taken care of certain needs of Paul through the years. But then, like, he's under arrest, and he's traveling, and he's on a ship, and he's in a jail in Caesarea, and he's in Rome, and then it takes time for the word to get back to Philippi, and so he he uh, he rejoices in the Lord that now their care for him has flourished again. That word flourished is a word uh, that means, it, it's a word that's used to describe a plant that has been dormant through the winter, and the springtime comes, and it flourishes. It comes back to life. And he says, that's, what, that's the way your care has been. And he, and he softens that. He says, I know that you cared about me, but you lacked opportunity. Then verse 11. I think the one word that I want to focus on is in verse 11. He says, not that I speak in regard to need. Paul says, I'm appreciative for the gift that you've given me. But I want you to know that in reality I'm not dependent upon uh, what you give me. To sustain me. Uh, And and he does. I think part of it Paul doesn't want him. To thank them so greatly. So that he's kind of implying like. Okay keep it coming people. (laughs) Okay. Going to be looking for another gift soon. Because this is going to run out at some point. No. Paul says I know. He said not that I speak in regard to need. For I have learned. Here it is in whatever state I am, to be content. Content. And kind of if there's one thing I want to share with you, kind of the heart of this message, as I've summarized and focused on a certain idea in these verses that we conclude this series in, is the word content. Content. Paul says, whatever's come my way, I've learned to be content. Uh, that word content is a loaded word. Uh, it's kind of interesting because it was a word that was used frequently among the Stoic philosophers. We don't have time to talk a lot about the Stoics this morning. Uh, but the Stoics used this term that we translate content. And they said, no, that's something. Uh, It is a word for the Stoics that meant and can be translated as self-sufficient. So what the Stoics said is that put yourself in a frame of mind and a position in life so that you are not dependent upon anything else. Don't let anything else affect you. Uh, um, uh, Any kind of circumstance in life. Don't don't let it affect you. Um, There's almost a sense with the Stoic philosophers that you build an emotional wall around you so that whatever happens in life, it's not going to throw you. It's like you've voided your life of all feelings, emotions, and expectations. And so they would say you are content. You are uh, self-sufficient. You are... uh, The root of this word is to be self-satisfied... You you are okay within yourself regardless of what happens in life. And so this was a popular word used among the Stoics. And it talks about not needing anything to be satisfied, independent, self-sufficient. They eliminated the wants and even the needs from their from their life. Uh, Paul uses this term also in um, First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy six six he says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So Paul uses this term a couple other times in his writings and specifically uh, in First Timothy. Um... I want to suspend what Paul means by that term because it's a little different than what the Stoic philosophers meant. But before we move on, I want to, you to note in verse 11 that Paul says, I have learned, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I have learned it. Paul is implying this is this does not come natural to me to naturally be content this is something I've had to learn in fact not only does he say it in verse uh, 11 but he's going to say it again actually it's a different word in verse 12 but it it carries with it the same idea and so Paul says I've learned in whatever state to be content and even if we took at this point the meaning of that word to be self-sufficient from the stoic philosophers take that for now independent of any outside needs. He says, I know how to be abased to have less than I need. I know how to abound to have more than I need. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Notice again in verse 12, he uses the term learned. I have learned. But when you look at this, this is a different. Word for learned. Actually, the, the word for learned in verse 11 is the, is the word that d- describes a disciple. In Jesus, it was a learner. It's the same root word. This one's different. This word for learned is a word that refers to someone, it was used in uh, ancient uh, writings to refer to someone who is initiated into a mystery cult. We don't have time to talk about that either. A secret society. And they would use this term when someone was initiated into that, they would be told the secrets. Here's the inner knowledge. And it's kind of interesting. This is the word that Paul says. And actually, actually what he's, he's saying to the Philippians, I want to let you in on the secrets. I want you to learn this. Paul says, I learned the secret to it all. In fact, that's kind of the gist of the whole sermon series, The Secret to Joy. He said, This is the inside scoop. I'm, o- I'm going to let you in on it. And the punchline. So he said, I've learned in whatever state, in verse 11, to be content. Verse 12, I have learned, I have been initiated into the secrets, both to be full and to be hungry, to be. Bu- to to abound and to suffer need verse 13 is the punchline what is it that Paul had learned I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me it is here it is it is through Christ who becomes the source of our joy our satisfaction our purpose our contentment how is it that I can be self-sufficient and independent of all circumstances that come to my life? Whether I have more than I need, I have less than I need. How is it possible? Because it is through Christ who is the source of my sufficiency. And so when Paul talks about contentment in verse 11, he's not talking about a self-sufficient self-sufficiency. He's talking about a Christ-sufficiency. That inside of me there is something that gives me strength regardless of what comes, may come my way. Whatever circumstances, whether I have less than I need, I have more than I need. Now, I think many times we take Philippians 4.13, which I talked to, talk to my little children's when they were real small. We know this one, you know. Y'all knew other ones too back in the day. And I don't know if y'all still remember those, but we learned this voice. This verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, I think sometimes we take this, let me take it to the extreme. Suppose Daryl Smith says, I'm going to claim this verse. I'm going to go home after church today and I'm going to put on my basketball shoes. I am going to the Family Life Center. And I'm going to quote that, I'm going to give me a basketball. And I'm going to quote that verse and I'm going to dunk the basketball. Without lowering the goal to 7 foot, understand. 10 foot. No. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bink. No, I'm not getting there. I mean, I used to have a vertical leap. Not much of one, but I had a little bit more than I do now. Uh, But you know what kind of vertical leap I'd have to have to dunk the basketball? Well... I guarantee I'm about a foot and a half short of whatever it is that is required. It, it ain't going to happen. I don't care. I mean, unless you like bring in one of those little trampoline things, you know? Lower the goal. Um, I don't care how many times I claim that verse. I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. Within the context of Paul, he is saying, whatever comes my way, whatever circumstance God asks me to pass through, God will give me the strength in the midst of that to be contentful, contented, and joyful, and have a sense of peace. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My source of sufficiency is in Christ. Hmm. I want you to hear that message this Christmas. I don't know what you're getting for Christmas. I don't know what you want for Christmas. But if you base your contentment and your joy on your circumstances this Christmas, more time than not, it's going to fail you. Paul says, I want to let you in on a little bit of secret, a secret that the source of my contentment and my joy is the one who can strengthen me in the midst of whatever life throws my way if I'm in prison for preaching the gospel in Rome and I'm facing death I want you to know there's a joy here because it's Christ who is my source who does not change in the midst of circumstances and I know I've said this many times in all of these sermons but our joy is not based upon cannot be based upon our circumstances but must be based upon our relationship with Jesus Christ Jesus is our source of satisfaction contentment and joy. And Paul says, this is what I have learned and this is the secret that I'm letting you in on. And then he says in verse 14, just quickly, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Paul didn't want to imply that, hey, I don't need you people or I'm not thankful for what you've done. No, you've done well. He says, now you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You know what Paul was saying? It blesses my heart to know that one day I came to a city where nobody knew Jesus and I shared the gospel and people came to faith and Jesus began to change some people so that it came to the point in life that even when the Philippians were in the midst of persecution and financial difficulty, God developed the heart of the giver in them. And I think more than... Paul says, no, I'm thankful for the gift. But it really blesses my heart to know that God's doing a work in your heart and even as someday the word from Caesar is that I will die, I know that the gospel and Christ and His kingdom will continue to be built. In Verse 18, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. I have more than I need. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, Sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well pleasing to God. And then that other verse that we all know from Philippians and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, there's a couple things about that verse that I, I realize. It's a promise to the Philippians who are demonstrating a generous heart when you will live out your life. As God would lead you, Paul says, I want you to know that my God will supply all of your need. When you found yourself in poverty and in persecution, Philippians, but you said, no, we've got to help out Paul. And you sacrificed and you gave. He said, no, the promise is, if you'll live the Christ life out, I want you to know that my God will supply all of your need. Now, there's another thing about that verse It says, He shall supply all your need. <laughs> not your wants. <laughs> uh, God's going to take care of you. Preacher's not saying that. God says that in His Word. If you will live the life that He's called you to live and do what He calls you to do, God is going to take care of your your basic needs in life. That's the promise. My God shall supply all of your need. Uh, We can go to Jesus' words in Matthew 6, what He does with the birds of the air and how He clothes the lilies. We have a phrase at my house that sometimes we just say, my daddy owns the cattle of a thousand hills. Why am I worried about how God's going to take care of this my daddy owns the cattle of a thousand hills. It's nothing. And actually that's the punchline to verse 19 because he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Isn't it something to think about that the one who says he's going to take care of you has limitless resources why would we doubt can God take care of me my daddy owns the cattle of a thousand hills (laughs) he spoke the hills and the cattle into existence (laughs) he reigns in heaven there's nothing too hard for God I read the story this week (laughs) I love this story Uh, a young seminary couple had left Uh, whatever their lives had been, they had moved to seminary, a young married couple, and they got to the point and the story says they had thirteen cents in their checking account and they were they were lacking some basic necessities of life. Like toilet paper. I mean it don't get Brother Josh, it doesn't get any more basic than toilet paper. Anyhow, I can anyhow, I'll talk later about that. But anyhow. Uh, So that night Not knowing what else to do, they knelt as a couple and prayed and asked God to take care of them. Well, God's answer came, but it wasn't in the way they expected. That night, they heard a noise in the front lawn. And when they got outside, what they saw was a group of youth from their church that were scattering who had wrapped their house with toilet paper and when you look out the front yard when you've prayed for the basic necessities of life and there's abundance of toilet paper hanging from the trees I'm not suggesting this brother Byron and Madison have plenty of toilet paper they're not praying for toilet paper in their house you just look at it and you say thank you Jesus it wasn't what I was expecting (laughs) we like it in the rolls but anyhow if it comes hanging from the trees we'll take that as your provision in our life why does that surprise us that god can take care of our needs he owns the cattle of a thousand hills it's according to his riches in glory by Christ jesus and and really i want to leave you with the simple thought that christ alone is the source of our joy. He is our source of sufficiency for all that we need. Specifically in, in, in Philippians, though, we've been talking about joy. That is such a simple but profound truth that Christ alone is our source of joy. He is the source of all that we need. You know what my sense in my own life is? I'm sure it's true for you too, is that many times we fill our hands with our own sufficiency of what we can do for ourselves. And because our hands are so full with the things that we can do, God has no place to put His sufficiency and His provision in our life. I don't know. I think really Paul lost it all I kind of think quite honestly that when he says I learned in in every state to be content I think Paul would have said you know what life stripped away everything that I had my family my freedom (laughs) my means of providing for my own needs my safety Paul said, his testimony to the Philippians. When I came to the place where God, it seemed as if God had allowed life to take everything away, I found that Christ was the source of my sufficiency. He is my all in all. He's everything I need. And it doesn't matter what life takes away from you because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me My God shall supply all of your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's nothing that Jesus cannot do. Um, I'm not saying this Christmas you're going to claim these verses and get everything you want. But I would challenge you to say, I, I want us to all come to the place this Christmas to say, Jesus is enough. If that's all I had, he is enough. Christ alone is our source of joy. Would you stand with me this morning? Let me pray. The altar is open, Byron and I will be at the front. Father, today we proclaim that you are enough for us. Father, I would just pray that we would find that to be uh, the reality in our lives. and Father, regardless of what our circumstances are, uh, we pray that you'd bring us to the point to find you to be our source of sufficiency. To you, we give this time. To you, we
1: pray in Jesus' name. Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love! Of peace when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ, I stand. Christ alone took on flesh. Fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, nor at the wrath of Slain, then bursting forth in glorious day Up from the grave He rose again And as He stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me For I am His and He is mine with the precious blood of Christ. Commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Till he returns or calls me home Here in the power of Christ I'll stand String my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest trial and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace? When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all. Christ,
0: I stand. And all God's people said, "Amen, amen." We're glad how God has moved today. Uh, we're going to receive our offering at this time. So, our, as our ushers come forward, want to remind you, we'll have worship only on Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Um, we're going to take up our offering for our World Mission offering. We want you to be generous to that. I need to. Just challenge you and encourage you to be faithful in your tithes. Uh, It's kind of holiday season, and um, we still need you to be faithful to that. And I know people are out, but um, we need to take care of things at God's house. And so if you'll be faithful to your tithes and to your offerings, um, I know this week we have a produce giveaway tomorrow morning. Uh, This Wednesday will be our last Wednesday uh, for a couple of weeks to have our Wednesday night program and also our adult Bible study on Wednesday. So that's kind of the schedule.
2: Uh, Brother, J- Brother Eddie. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this glorious morning in your house, for the word that's been shared with us this morning. And, uh, Father, I just pray that each one of us receive that word about The joy in our life can only come from you and just realizing who you are and what you've done for us. During this Christmas season, I pray that each one of us will uh, spend special time with you in prayer, speaking to you about the direction our life has taken. Father, just let us show love and mercy to the community around us, to one another in this church. We thank you so much for the blessings you give each one of us. You're willing to come and be born and to give us a way of eternal life. Father, during this Christmas season, just let us realize that your gift is the only thing that really matters and what we've done with that. Father, again, I just uh, lift this church up to you, this offering. We thank you for the way you've blessed us, and we thank you for the way you're going to bless us in the future. Just let us be committed to your word, to spending time with you, and to reaching the ones in this neighborhood. We thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.
1: I kind of see part of my story like Joseph. God brought them out of something that at the beginning of the story makes no sense. Even in the middle of the story, you sometimes wonder, God, what are you doing?